Hello and welcome to another interview. My name's Debbie Evans from UK Column. And the 27th of January was a very important day. Whose time just ran out? The World Health Organization has proposed an international pandemic treaty which would give it the power to declare a global health emergency to enforce lockdowns, mandatory vaccinations and vaccine passports. No matter where you live, whichever country you're in right now, are you prepared to lose your sovereignty, giving it all up with your rights, to allow the World Health Organization, who are run by unelected officials, to have the capacity to bring your country to its knees? The Pandemic Preparedness Treaty is due to be discussed in May at the 77th World Health Assembly. I am so grateful to be joined this afternoon by James Roguski, who is an author, an activist, a researcher, and a very, very hardworking, tired man. He's got his finger on the WHO's pulse. He has spent, I don't know how many hours, translating, interpreting, understanding all of the international health regulations. He's worked around the clock to tell the public what is going on behind the WHO's doors and in order to stop them from a power grab. And and James is a very humble man. And um, I know that he is doing this because he wants to get the truth out. This is the reason why he wants to get the truth out. And we're now at a crucial time where it would appear that the WHO are not so comfortable as they were. Are they worried? Have we, the public, made a difference? And has James Roguski exposed what is going on at the WHO? James, welcome. Thank you so much. I know we're going to be talking about Article 55, and you've got a very important message for everyone, wherever they live. Um, You've got a very important message for them today. Well, you know, thank you very much for the opportunity to share that information with you and and with your audience. Um, You're making me blush with the praise. It's really more about the information. And unfortunately, I think that a lot of people um, have gotten a surface view of various aspects of what is going on, but that is overshadowing what is really going on with these various negotiations. And Hopefully, by the end of this interview, people will be much more clear on what I think you know, really is happening, what is going on, who's behind it all, and what we all need to do about it. And we're super grateful for that. And we, we have been following your Substack, and all the links will be um, beneath this interview. But you've been advising us what to do to tell our politicians, to tell our governments. And I remember telling a politician back in 2021 um, on record about the, this power grab by the WHO, and they didn't know. And only now are parliaments and governments starting to listen. And I do believe, um, since listening to Tedros, um, the director of the WHO, he has got some reservations that countries aren't they, they're not complying as he would expect them to comply. And of course, we've got the World Health Assembly coming up, James, in May. And um, this pandemic treaty is going to be discussed. However, 
you've noticed something very important. Well, you've noticed something that hasn't happened, a lot of things that haven't happened that should have happened. So tell us about January, the, the relevance of January the 27th and the relevance of Article 55. Well, first and foremost, I think everyone um, needs to be very clear. And this may sound strange, but I actually encourage people, if they can, get out three separate sheets of paper and compartmentalize in your mind the fact that there are at least three separate things that have been discussed, and they all seem to get jumbled together. And so then when these things are spoken about by the media, Tedros will come along and say, well, that's misinformation, because quite frankly, it is, because attributes of one document get attributed to a different one, the timelines get all mixed up. And so let me see if I can just lay out those different things. And I'll start with the one that you very specifically mentioned. With the amendments to the international health regulations, there's actually two different sets of amendments that are very important. And January 27th, 2024, which most importantly has passed, is four months in advance of the beginning of the May Assembly, the 77th World Health Assembly. Well, um, Article 55 is very important because it says that any nation can submit amendments to the international health regulations, but they have to do so actually more than four months in advance, at least a couple of days more, so that they can present any amendments to the director general. And what Article 55 says is then the director general would then communicate any proposed amendments four months before the start of the assembly, because as is clear in this case, you know, it could be very complicated and the nations should have that time period to consider them before they're asked to vote on them when they get to the assembly. And so that date has passed. To my knowledge, the director general has not submitted in their terms a uh, complete package of targeted amendments to the international health regulations in alignment with Article 55. So a strict reading of that international regulation is that they miss their deadline and they don't get to make any changes in May unless they cheat and ignore that rule, come up with some excuse say something along the lines of, oh, I'm sorry, you know, the dog ate our homework, you know, just ignore that rule. We're going to keep negotiating. And that appears to be what they intend to do. They have meetings scheduled for Monday, February 5th, and that week through the 9th. They have more meetings scheduled uh, in April, the 22nd to the 26th. And they have spoken their intent to just ignore that rule keep negotiating right up to the last minute, and whenever maybe they reach an agreement, um, drop it on the table to be considered without that four-month period of time for you know, due notice and, and, and you know, complete and due notice, as the words of Stephen Solomon, um, so that ample consideration, discussion, and debate could occur on what they're negotiating. Now, in that package of amendments, 
if you go back all the way to September 30th, 2022, they had all of the nations submit initially proposed amendments. They kept it secret until December of 2022. Then they did reveal it. And I've certainly been reporting on it. You've reported on it. Many people have talked about it. But they've had secret negotiations for well over a year. And they have not yet published a revised version. In their documentation for the meetings that they're having from February 5th to the 9th, they have, they have alluded to the Bureau, which is the small group of two co-chairs and six I'm sorry, four vice chairs, six people, from one from each region, they will be presenting their new text for you know, these 300 different um, amendments. Well, when are we, the people, going to get an opportunity to see what they've been doing in secret? It, their initial plan was to have their final meeting in December, wrap it all up, hand it over to the review committee to dot all the I's and cross all the T's, submit it in mid-January to make their deadline, and then there would have been a four-month period where everyone would be able to consider it. Well, they have failed. And they told us in October that they were going to fail. And so, you know, just with that one track, um, what Tedros was alluding to was, well, if the nations don't give on their position and reach an agreement, then no one is going to get, right? Well, well, what are, what are nations going to get? You have to understand that they're not negotiating issues regarding your health. This is a trade dispute. I've been trying to get people to comprehend that this whole time. This is about relatively poor nations wanting to build equity into the international health regulations because they're upset that they gave over genomic sequencing data, very specifically in South Africa when Omicron popped up, Botswana and South Africa handed over the information about the genomic sequencing as they were supposed to do according to the international health regulations. And what they were greeted with was travel restrictions. And then they watched Pfizer and Moderna turn that information into billions of dollars in the form of the boosters. And they are unhappy that they did not receive any benefit as part of the international health regulations. And so people need to understand that this is a trade dispute. And there's all kinds of other things, you know, being cooked up in these many, many documents. But this is, uh, you know, a battle um, where, you know, it's a revisiting of colonialism. The smaller nations feel like they are being forced to give up their natural resources. Their, their nations are being pillaged yet again by pharmaceutical companies for the intellectual property associated with pathogens, which are, if you look at it, the raw material that is incredibly valuable to those corporations who can refine that information, you know, the genetic information, 
if you look at it from you know how you would do mining, they're mining data, they're refining it, and turning it into a finished product that has added value, and they're making billions of dollars while the nations where the raw material is gathered um, didn't get any because they couldn't afford the finished product. This is corporate colonialism, and that's what these negotiations really are all about. And any other discussions are, are, are valid on a certain level, but they've been overshadowing what I think is really driving these negotiations. And so way back in December 1st of 2021, after a special session of the World Health Assembly, the declaration was made that they wanted the WHO to oversee negotiations to ensure equitable access to pandemic-related products. Now, that's not just jabs. That's ventilators and midazolam and Paxlovid and molnupiravir and remdesivir and all of the jabs. The insanity of all of this is the relatively poor nations are arguing that they should have equitable access to the things that I think they should be counting their blessings they didn't have access to. But it goes much deeper than that because this, this is built out of you know, being colonized all over again, having their resources extracted and turned into money, and then being in a position where the finished product is not available to them. You know, Canada and EU and all the other nations bought up 10 times what they needed. And if you allow yourself to believe that the jabs were life-saving, then you can see why a trade dispute is what is going on here. If anything, it should be being conducted by the World Trade Organization, not the World Health Organization. And so the argument at the moment is about intellectual property and manufacturing know-how and investment capital to build out the industries. It's, it's a parallel to every other aspect of life in the world. The developing nations want to develop their own pharmaceutical, hospital, emergency, industrial complex so they can profit and control whatever drugs and jams they force upon their own people and then profit from it. Um, I don't think too many people have been talking about that. I think you're absolutely right, James. And when you say it like that and you put it in those terms, yes, of course, we are a commodity. Um, and yeah, I think you're absolutely right that it, it, this all should, if it was anything was going to be conducted, it would have been more appropriate for the World Trade Organization. Um, but I'm I'm thinking too that you know a lot of people forget that the WHO is also a sister organisation to the United Nations, who themselves are setting up their own emergency platform. But just to just to sort of summarise quickly um, about what you've just said, because no matter whether they're operating for tra on a trade deal or a genomic sequencing deal or a vaccination spree, whatever their aims are, everything is wrong, right? So they have now missed their deadline, which means technically 
they can't talk about any of the amendments or the international health regulations at the 77th World Health Assembly. They've missed the deadline, so that's it. But like you say, unless they cheat, and we have every reason to believe that they probably will. And you've always been one step ahead of them, um, James. I mean, you really have. And I know that you've put out a very powerful YouTube And it's a very serious YouTube that you have addressed, actually, to your president, to President Biden, um, to Blinken, um, personally. And it's very hard hitting. And I think my next question is going to be, Article 55, what do we do? What, What do we do in all the countries that are watching today? I'm here in the UK. What would you say that we do? Do we need to do what you did, which is put out a message to our prime minister or to the president or prime minister of your country? How do individuals make a stand against this now, Article 55? Certainly understanding where the power resides in these negotiations. Now, one of the things that most people want to do is they want to speak to either their member of parliament, their representative, their senator, by whatever name it may be in every country. And I encourage everyone to do that. But in many nations, um, very specifically, I first learned about this in Australia, and I I published uh, a long article about it. And it hurt a lot of people's heads because it doesn't register. It doesn't feel right because it is not right. It's wrong. In many nations, um, especially in the British Commonwealth, the power flows from the king to the um, executive branch of government. And the parliament has no say in the making of the decision as to whether or not to enter into the agreement. Now, it has been deeply confused because people naturally assume that this is a health-related agreement, so they want to complain about you know, deciding their own health because they're not paying attention to the trade aspect of this. So it's not just the health minister. It's not just the foreign minister. It really should be you know, the commercial or trade minister. Or you know, in, in England, it's um, the uh, Department of, of Foreign... Um, development office. And and so this doesn't fit what people have assumed it to be. So they're pulling on the wrong levers of government and they're yelling at or you know upset with their representative not realizing that your members of parliament or for the most part, you know any legislative body around the world has already been cut out of the decision-making process. So in the United States, the executive branch, the authority, comes from the president to the secretary of state. And then, quite frankly, the power to negotiate has to go to whomever they delegate to be involved in these negotiations. I encourage everyone in every nation to identify who with small letters, WHO, has the authority to be involved in the negotiations to make these decisions. And, you know, who is representing you at these who negotiations? 
Now, in the debate that happened in the UK in on December um, 18th, the I believe it was the health minister was asked point blank, who is conducting these negotiations? And he said it was civil servants and he wasn't going to say. And so how is that um, aligned with the concept of representative democracy? When some unknown, unnamed, unaccountable person is negotiating on your behalf and the ministry that you think is in charge of that will not tell you who that is so that you can have any say in the matter. This is the problem. And so for me in the United States, it's not members of Congress. It should be members of the Senate. But in each nation, people understand who, all letters, is representing you at WHO at these negotiations and express your opinion very clearly to them that, well, hold on just a moment, guys. Um, your rules in the international health regulations state very clearly, and your co-chairs going all the way back to February of 2023, and your legal counsel, and then again in October, have stated very clearly that they know that there's a deadline. And Dr. Abdullah Asiri said very clearly, well, you know, a deadline is a deadline. Unless you think you're above the law, and they apparently do. And so next week, when they have their meetings, if they happen to stumble over a, a small pile of integrity and start their meeting by saying to the world and, and put out some type of press release saying, well, you know, we're continuing these discussions and these negotiations. We're nowhere near a final agreement. So we're not going to be able to decide this at the May 2024 assembly. We missed our deadline. And so we're continuing these negotiations and we'll catch you next year in 2025. Now, I wouldn't put it past them to understand the rules, continue these negotiations, and then do what they did in 2021 is call for a special session four months out get the negotiations done, recognize the rule of law that you have to give four months notice, and then set up a special meeting, give that four months notice for discussion and debate, and then meet again like they did in 2021. But if the rule of law has any meaning still this day, we the people are going to have to be the ones who enforce it because clearly our governments are not doing so. And they are openly conspiring. And yes, I use that word because I have all of the evidence. They're conspiring to ignore that four month notice. Now, Debbie, if I may, this is a good time to talk about something else that I feel is very important. You mentioned 2021, um, quite frankly, you were on the job before I was. I didn't really start paying attention to this until early 2022. And what I came to learn was the Biden administration followed these rules. And so now I'm going to talk about a totally separate situation. So don't, don't get these confused. What I have been talking about 
with the 300 plus amendments that they're currently negotiating. But back in 2022, the Biden administration followed the rules. I have to give credit where credit is due. Lois Pace was the person who signed off on the document that they submitted on January 18th, 2022, a package of amendments to 13 articles. Well, what happened to that was with that four months notice, which came about a month and a half after all of the nations started these trade dispute negotiations, Biden's administration submits a package of amendments that did not address their demands for equity at all. And those nations looked at what he proposed. They had four months to review it. And very quietly, they kicked it to the curb. Long before the May assembly started, it was clear that that was dead in the water. That four-month period gave the nations of the world the opportunity to review what the Biden administration said they wanted, and they just kicked it to the curb. Now, then what happened is so astonishing, people just, it, it doesn't want to sink in. In the middle of the assembly, on May 24th, the UK, the EU, the Biden administration, a handful of other nations, in violation of Article 55, submitted a different package of amendments, five amendments in total. Now, some people will say, oh, well, that was just the one leftover, but it actually submitted a change to the rules in Article 62 about how a reservation could be made for an amendment. So it wasn't just a technical change. It was actually new authorities being introduced with a new package of amendments, absolutely in violation of Article 55. They discussed it in quiet backroom meetings for a couple of days. They had a committee meeting do a very perfunctory, oh, nobody disagrees, okay, great. Nobody's in the room, but they claimed that that was a valid vote, which it was not. And then they published a document on May 28th saying, that they had um, approved these amendments. Well, number one, they were illegitimately submitted. And lo and behold, they never actually had a vote. They just said they did. And we did manage to get a dozen members of the European Parliament on November 28th, a little more than two months ago, send a letter to the Director General Tedros and say, look, you know, The amendments that you say you adopted in 2022, on May 28th, 2022, there's no vote. So, uh, you know, I don't know how it is everywhere else in the world, but in the United States, there's a lot of arguments about election and, and voting integrity. They've taken it to a whole new level. They, they just said they had a vote and they didn't. And so by my reckoning and the last word in the letter from the members of the European Parliament to Tetros, they said, without evidence that you actually voted properly or voted at all, these are null and void. So those amendments were the ones that were associated 18 months after that was December 1st of 2023. Many people may have been aware of the fact that there was a petition in the UK, got a hundred and some thousand um, signatures, to have a discussion about that 
because those changes by UK law should have been presented to Parliament for 21 days, not to be approved, but to have the opportunity to reject them. Well, the administrative you know, processes were not followed. They never did that. And they scheduled the debate for 18 days after the deadline. And nobody raised the issue that I just raised. Nobody said a word about, hey, hold on a moment. Um, did you guys even vote? We talked about a lot of stuff, a lot of hot air got pushed around the room. And a lot of people made comments about it, but they missed a point. The point was um, Parliament was supposed to have already had the opportunity to reject something that was fraudulently submitted in the first place. And so that's the second um, point of enforcing Article 55. They didn't even come close to doing that in 2022. And so every suspicion that they would be all too happy to just drop a large document on the table um, in May of 2024 without, as Stephen Solomon said, you know, complete, timely and complete notice. They clearly have missed their deadline. And it appears that they're continuing the negotiations next week. And it appears because they've said so. They intend to just ignore that rule um, because, you know, I, I guess they believe that they're above the law. James, you know, after the, after that, and there's so much to unpack there, but you speak <laughs> so eloquently. Um, and what terrifies me is that if you hadn't have done all of this work and this scrutiny over pouring over, and I know that you're a very humble man and, and, and I know you hate me saying things that um, kind of make it appear about you because I know it isn't about you, but you do literally pour hours and, and your soul, your spirit into this. And if you weren't doing this, we wouldn't know. It's as simple as that. I mean, one of our MPs here in the UK, Andrew Bridgen, is certainly trying very hard to to get more parliamentarians to discuss this because half of them haven't got a clue. They don't understand, I don't think, the power of the WHO and that, you know, many of them were uh, voting to leave Europe to retain our sovereignty, to get our sovereignty back. So the the, the thought that uh, a non-governmental organization such as the WHO could suddenly snatch away our sovereignty seems impossible to many of these parliamentarians. It just seems like uh, a, a land that they, they wouldn't even identify with is that unbelievable. But um, after what you've said, you know, I think it is very important for each and every one of us to take action. We can't leave everything to you and you're there advising us what to do. And since uh, you've been speaking in the UK anyway, um, I think it's Lord Cameron that is our foreign minister. So uh, please write to Lord Cameron. And, and I'm going to ask you, James, in a minute, what you think people should actually be saying, because I know that people shouldn't be writing long, rambly emails or even letters, that they should keep it concise to the point and factual. But it's Lord Cameron in the UK, Foreign Secretary, um, Foreign Minister, and also Grant Shapps is Trade Minister 
in the UK. And bearing in mind everything there that James has been saying is that basically we've been writing to the wrong people. We need to focus this now as a trade deal. Then, um, James, what should we be? What would you advise our viewers write down? Or do you have a template of something on your Substack, perhaps? There are many, many things, but I think the simple answer is to spread the word because um, whatever, however, this video is presented out there, the easiest starting point for anybody is just take the link, you know, that hopefully is, you know, right down below here and uh, or up above, wherever it may be. And, and share this video so that other people gain this awareness. Um, I'm going to say something else that maybe will surprise you. Um, the issue is such that if you go back to the beginning of 2020 till now, your nation, my nation, every nation around the planet did not need amendments to the international health regulations. They did not need a new pandemic treaty or framework convention or agreement or whatever they want to call it, which we haven't even really talked about yet. They didn't need those things to absolutely abuse and, and trample on your rights and your freedoms. It's not a question of national sovereignty. It's a question of dictatorial rule by those who feel they are your sovereign. And so people need to understand that the details of how the laws within your nation have either been crafted to abuse your rights and freedoms or have been overreached by the people who are supposed to be protecting your rights and freedoms, but they used their position in a dictatorial way that didn't require amendments or a new treaty, okay? The amendments and the new agreement are to distribute wealth and products to nations that didn't get those the first time around. They missed a bunch of black and brown people around the world, and those people didn't get a chance to participate in the pandemic profiteering. That's what these negotiations are about. Your rights and your freedoms are already abundantly endangered by the people who harmed you and took away those rights and freedoms over the last four years. Now, a handful of examples. Um, you look at what recently happened in Canada with Trudeau and the decision saying, yes, um, he overstepped his authority implementing the Emergencies Act. Well, in Canada, there's a petition. I encourage people to go to canadianpetition.com. There's about 85,000 signatures saying they want to leave the WHO. But there were over 400,000 signatures. I believe it was the largest number of signatures on a petition ever, having a vote of no confidence in their government. What what person could possibly at this point in time have any confidence in any government on the planet? And so wherever it is you feel that you want to express your views towards anybody in government, I encourage you to do so to the best of your ability. 
but realize that the decision-making power probably does not reside in your member of parliament. The decision-making power resides in the dictatorial, tyrannical executive branch of your government. And those people do a good job of pushing off the jobs to some unknown bureaucrat who's unaccountable, unelected, and largely unknown. Step number one is to identify, again, in small letters, who represents you at the who. Most people on the planet have absolutely no idea. And so the problem here is not one of national sovereignty. There are issues there with nations you know, being asked to agree to comply with certain things that are in these documents. The issue is how we the people have lost control over our own governments. They're abusing our rights on a daily basis within our nation, and they feel that they have all of the authority to go into international agreements and make decisions without any input from us whatsoever. They would then bring those decisions back to the legislative body and say, we've made this decision, you now have to implement it. Well, what are they going to be implementing? They're going to be implementing the transfer of wealth. Oh, how much is this going to cost? They want to build laboratories and you know, genomic sequencing uh, capabilities around the world. How much is that going to cost? That's really the only thing they're going to ask the legislators to do is essentially say, give money into this program to give to the pharmaceutical industry. And so the pharmaceutical industry wants this deal to happen, but they don't want the intellectual property rights to be taken away. They want to still make all the profit. And that's what's holding up these negotiations. Always follow the money. Um, I think what you said there too is very important, James, and that on your Substack, on your website, um, there is a list of all the representatives from all countries. And indeed, actually, on last Friday's UK Column News on the 26th of January, um, we featured um, exactly that document. And we found out that heading the UK as representative was a lady called Miss L. Collins, Miss Laura Collins. And uh, we've looked a little bit at her. So please go and have a look at the news in, in the uh, archives on 26th of January, where we always show James's substack and encourage people to go and look at the information because honestly, um, this is your freedom. Your freedom will be denied if you allow these people, the WHO, and let's face it, let's face it, James, none of us voted for the WHO. None of us had a say in, in whether we were going to even support them. We, most people hadn't heard of them really until the pandemic. And that's one point I will go back to is that you say spread the word and indeed we are going to spread the word and we are trying to spread the word as far and wide as we can. Our audience and many of the people that know about you and your work, James, are familiar with the WHO, the Pandemic Preparedness Treaty, international health regulations. You no, know, we've got a very well-researched audience. 
But what would you say to members of our audience when they're talking to uh, members of their family that have absolutely no clue about what is going on really and probably more excited about planning their summer holiday than worrying about what's going on in Geneva? Have you have you come across any kind of like icebreakers or easy ways of, of broaching this huge subject in a way that you can actually get people's in, in attention and engagement? Well, I'll, I'll role play with you here a little bit, okay? Um, have you ever heard of the Wuhan Institute of Virology? Yes. Do you think we need to have many, many more such research facilities where people go out into the world, they search everywhere imaginable using the One Health method to bring pathogens into the laboratory to analyze them so that they can make them more dangerous? Do you think that's a good idea? No, absolutely not. Do you realize what the WHO and these negotiations are doing? That it's a trade dispute and they want to put tens of billions of dollars into, now we'll talk a little bit about what everyone calls the treaty. They want to implement the One Health approach where they believe that the most dangerous thing going is the transfer of pathogens from animals to humans. So they're going to want to test not just you and whatever swab went up your nose, but they're going to want to have every nation share all of this genomic information, um, testing maybe the stool sample that your veterinarian takes from your dog or your cat or your bird or whatever other pet you have. If you have a small farm or if you have a chicken coop, they're going to want to test the bedding to see if there's some new bird flu. The farmer has a, a horse um, uh, enclosure or a pigsty or goats or sheep or whatever. They want to test all of the manure to see if there's some new pathogen that, you know, certainly in the United States and in other developed nations around the world, they're already doing wastewater surveillance and they're testing your poo to see if there's some new bacteria. My understanding is that, you know, all of the um, shell fish, you know, the uh, oysters and, and, and um, clams and stuff around the seacoast, because the sewage isn't properly treated, um, a great place to find the next pathogen is, you know, in the waters around the UK. Um, do you want them to be going to hospitals to find um, antibiotic-resistant um, pathogens? Uh, or, you know, I don't know, the local bat cave or the pangolin enclosure or the zoo or wherever, to bring all those pathogens into a laboratory to see which ones have pandemic potential so that the pharmaceutical companies can then take that information and jab you for something that wasn't necessarily causing a problem, but had the potential to cause a problem. If you think that's a great idea, then stand in support of this pandemic agreement because the nations who find those pathogens and give access to that information under the pathogen access benefit sharing system are you know, trying to get a piece of the profit, the benefits that all of the pharmaceuticals make by that type of fear mongering, gain of function, 
dual-use research of concern, biological warfare. If you're for that, then you're for the treaty if, and the amendments to the international health regulations. If you think that is insane and needs to be stopped, um, I would encourage people to go to thepeoplesdeclaration.com. Thepeoplesdeclaration.com is a very simple statement. We don't need no stinking treaty to have more Wuhan um, institutes of virology. We need an end to gain-of-function research. We need an end to creating all of these panics with problems that man themselves are creating. Going out into nature, bringing them into labs, getting their genomic sequencing, and then putting it over to pharmaceutical companies to turn all of that into a profit. This is not for pandemic prevention, preparedness, and response. This is for pandemic profiteering. And as long as we allow them to create the next pandemic, whether it's disease X or by whatever name, there's going to be pandemics because they're inordinately profitable. If you can get government to throw money at an emergency and not have any accounting as to where that money went and did it actually do any good other than transferring wealth from you to the people who are involved in those industries. I, I got my first clarity on this when the Indonesian health minister in Bali in November of 2022 was talking to the business leaders, the B20. And he said, look, the United States and other nations have started the World Bank Pandemic Fund. They've got a couple of billion dollars. They're looking to have 10, 11 billion dollars. Go invest. This is a great business opportunity. If you have the capacity to be involved in testing and genomic sequencing and laboratories and that, that type of research, there are billions of dollars flowing into that market sector. Go invest. That's what this is about. Follow the money. James, I'm like, whew, there is so much that you've said there that I'm like, my eyebrows are raised. So the first thing that I want <laughs> to say, um, and I know that, you know, I'm looking at the time and I, I know that you're absolutely shattered because you've been doing interviews at ridiculous o'clock in early hours of the morning because of all the time differences. And you've been speaking to pretty much so many, well, so many countries in different time zones. But here in the UK, many of our audience and listeners will know that one of the big agendas here is that we are meant to be, the United Kingdom's meant to be the UK life science, global life science superpower. And of course, genomics England and genomic sequencing is the big thing. Test, test, test. We're all getting um, stool tests through our doors, being asked to go and have swabs and blood tests and goodness knows what. So we know that genomic sequencing is big money, a big agenda. We also know that there are labs that are springing up all over the place, many of them high containment. We're not quite sure of the security that goes along with that, but they're springing up. And this is really to adopt personalized medicine, personalized genomic medicine, again, going back to pharmaceutical companies. And uh, when you said uh, genomic sequencing and looking in wastewater, I was thinking back to Bill Gates's germ team, because, of course, we know that he's out there 
searching. We know that he's not a country, and yet he's one of the biggest donors to the World Health Organization. Um, and he's got a germ team who's out there hunting, actively hunting for whatever he can find to turn into whatever he wants. And when you mentioned sewage, I live in Cornwall um, and we are uh, surrounded by sea. And I've got a lot of experience with sewage. And I know that in Cornwall, for example, um, somebody paddling in the sea, uh, walking on the beach, is likely to be walking amongst human feces. Um, and I also know that many people get sick with hepatitis E, um, which has been found in the coastal waters down here. So anybody that wants to come to Cornwall and eat freshly harvested mussels might actually want to think again. So everything that you have said there makes absolute perfect sense. And I think now is the time, never more so than now, that each and every one of us has to stand up and, as my mother would say, do their bit. Um, and for that reason, James, it's so valuable, your, your information. And that's why we want to keep in such close contact with you because you've now become, I know that you're going to blush when I say this, but you've now become really a world authority on what's go on, on who, on who you've got your finger completely on their pulse. And for that, we're incredibly grateful. And I know that we're going to be hooking up with you um, again on the news um, to update us with this time clock that's ticking down. We're not that far away from the 77th World Health Assembly, a matter of what, 12, 13 weeks. So there's a lot to do in a little time and we mustn't miss our deadline, right? They've missed their deadline, but we mustn't miss our deadline. So, James, people can learn so much from your Substack. And it was from your Substack that I actually learned that there was a UK petition. So could you tell us a bit more about the, the United Kingdom's petition? Um, it's a very simple petition. Um, it just basically says that we think that ending the UK's membership uh, in the World Health Organization is important for the governance of the country. Um, it's petition number 648609. You just go petition.parliament.uk slash petitions slash that number 648609. And it, petitions routinely get ignored by government officials. That is completely and totally understood. This is an opportunity for you to speak to other people, ask them what their opinion of this petition is and gauge whether or not they are allies or if they're even you know remotely aware if someone says to you well why would we want to do that let that start a conversation in the pub or at home or wherever it may be the purpose of petitions are to identify what the public sentiment is and if you use them properly you can identify friends and allies in you know your cause whatever that cause may be as we um, have this there's about 88,000 signatures it needs a hundred thousand to be um, considered for a debate um, push it over the top I would like to give you um, James Roguski um, with a million thanks from all of us that are watching and uh, reading your work and taking notice of what you're saying I'd like to give you, James, the last word and thank you. Well, you know, the problems that we deal with are ultimately local. 
And if you do not have control over the people who are trying to control you on a local basis, these negotiations are only going to make those matters worse. They did not need an, you know, new amendments to the international health regulations or a new treaty to abuse your rights and freedoms the way they did over the past four or five years. It will only give them another excuse. Oh, we have to do this to you because of the treaty. We have to do this to you because of the amendments. No, you and me and all of us each individually and collectively have to stand up for our rights and our freedoms against our own local and, and larger dictators. We have to get control of our governments and make it so that they realize that they are public servants who are supposed to protect our rights, protect our nations, and hold them to account for the mistakes and, quite frankly, the crimes that they have already committed. And when you do that on a local and national basis, you won't really have anything to worry about with these international agreements because they will crumble. You have to understand this is not about your health. This is trying to institutionalize a monopoly that the pharmaceutical companies want over your body. If you don't fight back now, it's only going to be harder to fight back later. So speak up now uh, because your silence is viewed as consent. Thank you very much.